1 Corinthians 15. That is page 1155 in the church Bible. First Corinthians 15 and we're going to read from verse 12 through to verse 26 but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised our preaching is useless and so is your faith more than that we are then found to be false witnesses about God For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits. Then When he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that is page 1155 in the church Bible. And we're thinking about verse 12 to verse 26. Could it be that you're wasting your time by being here at church this morning? Could it be that by being a Christian you're missing out on what the world has to offer and the only thing you get in return is pie in the sky? 
This morning, we're looking at this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. One of the reasons this passage has been given to us is to encourage people who have those sort of doubts. Paul here encourages us by going to the very heart of the gospel. And as far as Paul is concerned, the heart of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there is one thing that the Christian faith is built on, it is Christ's empty tomb. And to show us here exactly what it means for us, Paul tells us in this chapter, let's pretend. Let's imagine that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Let's pretend that Jesus' body is still lying in the tomb. Let's pretend that after the cross, no one ever saw Jesus again. And Paul tells us, since we're pretending that Jesus is still dead, here's a list of things that are completely ruined. Verse 14. Preaching is useless. It's nothing but hot air. Also verse 14. Your faith is also useless. Or verse 15. If Jesus has not been raised then we've been lying about God. You can't believe a single thing that Paul says or that's written in the Bible. Paul's showing us here the true cost of denying that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, we've skipped very quickly past the first three I want us to look in a bit more detail at the next three. And hopefully this morning, all of us here believe that this really happened. Hopefully we all believe that Jesus has really risen from the grave. And so as we look at these, we're going to turn them around. Paul is saying here, this is what it would be like if Jesus didn't rise. So that means the opposite must be true. The first one we want to look at, verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, not only is your faith futile, but you are still in your sins. So firstly, because Christ has been raised, our sins are forgiven. Because Christ has been raised, our sins are forgiven. How can we know that the things that we've done in the past aren't going to come back and bite us? What proof do we have that God isn't going to suddenly use them against us? Well, the answer, according to Paul, is the resurrection. 
that morning whenever Jesus left the tomb, God the Father was sending a message. The judge was announcing the verdict. He was saying, my son was bearing sin on the cross. He was being punished as if he was guilty. He was bearing my anger. But not anymore. My son is no longer in the grave. Because he has done nothing to deserve the grave. Here's the proof that my son is righteous. Do you see Paul's logic in this? If Jesus didn't rise, then he hasn't been declared righteous. And if Jesus hasn't been declared righteous, well then, he must be guilty. And if Jesus is guilty, well how can he ever deal with our sins? Paul's saying here, you can't have forgiveness if Jesus is still in the grave. Can you be sure that God won't suddenly change his mind about forgiveness? Can you have proof that your sins have been dealt with? Well, the answer is yes, because Christ's resurrection shows us that our sins are gone. It shows us, if we're trusting in him to take away our guilt, that the punishment is over. It shows us that if we're trusting in Jesus, no matter what we've done, God, through Christ, has officially announced our innocence. So the first thing we see in this passage this morning, because Christ has been raised, our sins are forgiven. The next one is to look at verse 18. Again, this is, if Christ has not been raised, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. So secondly, because Christ has been raised, death is not the end. Because Christ has been raised, death is not the end. Many of you know what it's like to see a loved one being lowered into the ground. You've seen the coffin disappearing under the earth. And the one thing that keeps so many people going is the thought that this hole in the ground is not the final resting place. And I wonder, did you notice the language that Paul uses in verse 18? Those who have fallen asleep in Christ. It's a really lovely phrase 
those loved ones who you've seen being placed in the ground. According to Paul in this passage, they're not dead. Really, they're asleep. And what happens to someone who's asleep? Well, eventually, he's going to wake up. It's a really comforting thought. The grave doesn't last forever. But, says Paul, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then all of that is nonsense. If Christ didn't rise, then when you're dead, you're dead. You get put in the ground, your body rots, and that's it. Verse 18. If Christ didn't rise, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If Christ didn't rise, then there is no hope and no comfort in the face of death. But verse 20, Paul tells us, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And notice what Jesus is called in verse 20. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And Paul here is using a picture to help us to understand. He's thinking way back to the years when God's people were in the desert. They're hungry. They're tired. They're worried about the future. And so God comes to his people and he makes a promise. He tells them, you will reach the promised land. You will have your own farms and fields. You will be able to grow your own crops and to feed your families. And then, moving forward several years, God reminds his people of how he kept his promise. And he does that by giving a sign. Every harvest time, the farmers are to go to their fields. They are to gather the first bundle of grain, the first fruits, and they are to take it to the priest. And even though it's just a small bundle of crop, it's significant because it looks back and it says, God has kept his word just like he promised when we were in the desert. But as well as looking back, it looks forward. It guarantees that the rest of the harvest that's still in the field is going to follow. might be useful, perhaps, to try and put ourselves in the farmer's shoes in Israel. You depend on this crop if you're going to eat. If the harvest isn't good, well then, you're going to have a whole year with not very much food. And so, 
you plant the seed. And you wait. And as the months go by, you begin to ration the food that you have left. You take smaller and smaller portions because you don't dare to run out of food before the harvest. And then, finally, the time comes to gather the crops. You can imagine the anticipation. I'm sure the farmers have a a good idea of what the crop is like beforehand. But this is the point when they're going to know for sure. They know as they gather the first fruits. If this first bundle is rotten or diseased, then the whole harvest is going to be ruined. You can imagine the joy that you would feel as you gather the harvest and you realise the first fruits are good. And therefore, the rest of the harvest is also going to be good. The first fruits guarantee the rest of the harvest. And Paul tells us here in verse 20, Christ is the first fruits. Looking back, he is the proof that God has kept his word. And looking forward, he is the guarantee that God isn't going to stop until the whole harvest has been gathered. He proves to us all of Christ's people are going to rise from the grave. Jesus is the firstfruits. Now isn't that so encouraging? Maybe you hope that someday you will be raised up. How many people have you heard saying something like this? Well, I like to think that after I die... I'll go to heaven. The Christian doesn't need to talk like that. Because the Christian can know. We can be certain if we are believers in Christ. We will be raised up to eternal life. The hope that we have isn't flimsy. It's not based on wishful thinking. It's not based on how good we think we've been. It's guaranteed by Christ, the first fruits. It's guaranteed by the resurrection of our Saviour. It's the second thing we see. Because Christ has been raised, death is not the end. In the next verse, we want to see is verse 19. Again, this is true. If Christ hasn't been raised, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. So thirdly, because Christ has been raised, 
we are to be envied by all people. Because Christ has been raised, we are to be envied by all people. I want you to imagine an Olympic athlete. He disciplines his body. He eats exactly the right amount of calories every day for his training. He gets up each morning and he goes for a run while it's still dark. He spends his afternoons in the gym and he spends his evenings working on his technique. This athlete trains so hard that he never sees his friends. He doesn't go on holidays. He never has the chance to put his feet up and watch TV. Life is hard. And this athlete, whenever he finds things tough, whenever he's out on his morning run and it's still dark and he's being drenched by the rain, whenever his muscles are screaming out with agony, there is one thought that keeps him going. And that is the gold medal. This athlete imagines the roar of the crowd as he crosses the line. That's the only reason he keeps on training. Well, imagine just before the Olympics, this athlete gets some news. There's been a mix-up with his paperwork. And he's not allowed to run. All of those years of training, all of that pain, all of those sacrifices are a complete and total waste of time. What would you think of a man like that? Surely we would pity someone like that. Someone who has sacrificed so much and yet has got nothing in return. Well that is exactly what it's like for the Christian if Christ's resurrection isn't true. That believer who spends years in prison in China. That student who stands up for the truth of the Bible and gets mocked. That Christian who constantly wrestles against temptation. All of them should be pitied. Because if Christ's resurrection isn't real, then we as Christians give up so much and we get nothing in return. <coughs> but, Paul tells us, verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And so, taking his statement and turning it onto its head, we are to be envied more than all men. We have more than the millionaire. 
We have more than the best-selling musician, more than the neighbour with the swanky house. Because if Christ is risen from the dead, we have something that most other people can never, ever have. We have been forgiven and declared innocent by God. We have hope for the future that other people don't have. That we will be raised up to enjoy life with Christ. That we will be given perfect resurrection bodies just like the first fruits. And so we are to be envied by all men. It's easy to say. Is this something that you have grasped? Maybe you don't have an awful lot of money. Finances are tight. You have to be careful with what you spend. Or maybe the things that you do simply aren't appreciated by other people. Maybe you're someone who has always struggled to build friendships. And yet, as believers, we have immeasurably more than the vast majority of people will ever have. Maybe you find certain aspects of being a Christian very hard. Maybe there's someone and you need to forgive them. But to do that is going to hurt. Maybe the other people in your family roll their eyes because of who you are. Maybe you have to fight and fight against some ingrained sin. Or maybe you struggle to spend time for God in prayer. Being a Christian can be hard. And yet, because of Christ's resurrection, we have the most wonderful of rewards. And in fact, as the passage goes on, it gets even better. Because verse 23 to 26, Paul shows us how the resurrection fits into God's plan for the universe. Suppose you could say that God has a calendar. And on this calendar, God has marked the most important dates in the whole universe. One of those dates has already happened. It's the morning of Christ's resurrection. The next date is still to come. It's the resurrection of believers. Already the souls of Christians who have died are with the Father. But that day is still to come. When just like Jesus, the firstfruits, 
our bodies are raised perfect from the grave and God doesn't tell us when that second date is what he does tell us is what happens between now and the day when that arrives verse 24 and 25 he destroys every dominion and authority Jesus fights and he conquers on the day when he rose he won the war with Satan and now in the days that follow he flushes out the last traces of rebellion Christ has many enemies and he destroys each of them in turn and then verse 26 the last enemy to be destroyed is death we wish that death could be destroyed right now. We wouldn't have to face the heartbreak of losing people that we love. But we're told here Jesus has other evil, harmful enemies that he chooses to deal with first. And when those other enemies have been destroyed, death itself is in Christ's crosshairs. Death, which seems so terrifying, so final, so powerful, will eventually be destroyed by Christ. And when death itself is destroyed, well then... Those who have fallen asleep in Christ will rise. And in fact, what you need to know is more than that. Everyone who has died is going to rise on that day. And if you are not trusting in Jesus... Well then, you're going to be raised up for judgment. You will stand before the throne. You will be judged. And you will be cast off into hell. But if you are a believer in Jesus, on that day, you'll be raised just like your saviour with a perfect body you will be reunited with those loved ones who have fallen asleep in Christ and you'll spend eternity with Jesus in glory and all of that could I suppose sound very far-fetched except we have proof that all of that is going to happen because the decisive moment in this war has already taken place. Jesus has been raised from the dead. 
hopefully, you can see Christ's resurrection changes absolutely everything. And so as we close, I want to ask you, has the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead changed the way you live? Do you panic in case God decides to cast you out? Do you worry yourself sick about sins from your past? Are you constantly looking over your shoulder or trying desperately to put things right? Or do you remember that by rising from the dead, Christ has secured our salvation? Do you despair over the things that you're missing out on? Do you wallow in jealousy when you see other people and they have the things that you want? Or do you fix your eyes on the eternal life that Jesus guarantees for his people? Christ's resurrection changes everything it proves that if we're Christians we've been forgiven it guarantees that we're going to enjoy eternal life it secures an inheritance that trumps everything the world has to offer I hope that all of us believe that Jesus truly rose from the dead. But I also hope that we make sure that that truth changes the way that we live. Let's be people who are confident in salvation. People who have a certain hope for the future. People who aren't impressed by the trinkets of the world. Because Christ has been raised, we are to be envied by all men. Amen. Let us stand as we come before God in prayer.